Hello and welcome to the Ganatantra podcast. I am Alok Prasanna Kumar and I am Sariyo Natarajan. And in this episode which sort of kicks off our series about states and federalism, we have with us Prem Panikkar. To give you a short introduction for about Prem, he's a journalist who's almost 3 decades of experience as one. He started with the Free Press Journal, he's worked with Midday. Um he has been at Rediff as its editorial director and has joined Yahoo as its uh, managing editor for India. Uh, although he since 2014 he has been a freelancer uh, he started a site called peeply.org for deep reporting on environmental water climate change and refugee issues and um, you will find his writings on any number of issues everything from cricket to politics to the environment and so on and we're very glad to have you prem welcome to the podcast thanks alok thanks sir for having me Yeah. Welcome great to have you We're here. Great to have you here. And we have Prem uh, on the podcast to discuss a little bit about the politics of Kerala. Uh, obviously and as Prem reminded us just before <laughs> we started we can't get the full political history of the state in one podcast episode but we want to talk about four or five major themes which might help us understand a bit about the state's politics. And one of the reasons why we also wanted to start with Kerala Prem is because of two very recent interesting incidents that's kind of uh, from a federalism perspective. One is that the state passed resolutions against not one but two laws, the CAA uh, and all the state assembly and also the recent amendments to the income tax act which will enable the government to tax citizens. The perception being that uh, Kerala residents of uh, um you know in the gulf will be affected. A second interesting thing is I think Kerala has become the first state to have filed a suit um against the union in the context of the CAA which is fairly unprecedented in terms of a state challenging central law so i wanted to w- wonder what has brought kerala to the forefront of the discussion on federalism why is it, uh, how is it going about asserting a pertain a certain proposition on behalf of states as states how has it come to be that and is there anything something about the politics of kerala that has brought it to this position well um how did kerala come to the forefront of challenging federalism it's a long and convoluted answer but to keep it kind of short there are a couple of factors that you want to uh, consider one is that kerala has pretty much been insulated if you will from national politics okay what happens at the center has very little impact on what happens inside of kerala a classic example would be the recent lok sabha election where the congress was irrelevant right across the country but swept uh, kerala yeah uh, kerala pretty much goes on its own uh, path mm-hmm. secondly kerala particularly in recent times particularly with the rise of uh, the bjp and modi 1 and 2 has had multiple reasons to be pissed off with the center okay mm-hmm. um, for instance take the instance of the recent floods right. um, initially when the floods came the 2019 floods uh, before that the 2018 floods kerala desperately requested for interim funding out of the disaster relief fund and was denied mm-hmm. not only denied uh, recently about 2 months ago there was a notification from the center allocating funds to uh, five different states Kerala was the one state that was left off and Gujarat which didn't have that kind of flooding uh-huh. actually benefited uh-huh. I mean they got money mm-hmm. and in the same notification or immediately after that notification Kerala was also asked to pay a sum of 250 crore towards transport charges of grain that had been brought from via the PDS system to Kerala for the period of the flood so yeah Kerala has reason to be pissed off is the CAA resolution a direct result of that I don't think so I think the willingness of kerala to take on the center comes from the fact that they are pissed off with the center okay but the ca resolution comes from the fact that kerala is literate right yeah. uh they are not that willing to swallow the 
the the commonly touted uh, line that the CA is not anti anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ker- uh, the Keralaite is generally politically aware, mm-hmm. and while you know protests in various other parts of the country have been in the limelight, particularly Delhi for obvious reasons, Kerala. almost from day one has been protesting all the students came out onto the streets all the women came out onto the streets there was uh, what they called the vanita madal uh, a women's uh, wall then they more recently did a 640 uh, kilometer long wall all the way from trivandrum to kasargod which is one hell of a feat of yeah. you know human engineering if you will um also it's interesting that the opposition to the caa is not just confined to the ruling party it's not the ruling party versus the center the opposition was equally part of it it was passed unanimously which is interesting because o rajgopal the nemam uh, member uh-huh. in the legislative assembly is the sole bjp uh, representative rajgopal in interviews has spoken in favor of the caa in a very lukewarm fashion uh-huh. but when it came to the tabling of the resolution and the debate around the resolution rajgopal refused to speak okay he never said a word and he did not vote okay it is not that he voted against the resolution mm-hmm. to make a point he just did not vote and that's an indication that even rajgopal even the bjp elected member and rajgopal has a tremendous brand equity in kerala he was not elected because he was bjp he was elected because he was rajgopal mm-hmm. he could pretty much represent any party and win hmm. um even rajgopal is aware of the fact that speaking out in favor of the caa or officially speaking in favor of the caa is not a good thing because it doesn't resonate with the average person not the voter the average citizen of kerala right. uh when you think of the income tax law yeah gulf is part of an issue but i was just reading this um uh, couple of days back because the kerala budget was presented and right. talking of kerala's needling the center uh, you mentioned the case that has yeah. been filed in court and all that if you look at the kerala budget papers mm-hmm. the cover up image mm-hmm. was ah, a very famous painting yes. of gandhi's assassination That's they right. were making yes. a point yes right uh, here are some facts and figures that that help you understand why kerala is so uh, anti anything that messes with its economy mm. Uh, you probably read the recent Economist magazine story about the fastest-growing cities. Right. Yep. Three of them are uh, in Kerala. Yeah. Uh, there is Malappuram, which is number one in mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. followed by Kozhikode at number three, uh, and Kollam at number ten. You also have um, which was it? I think uh, Thrissur. Huh. Thrissur comes in at number thirteen. Huh. The next Indian city to come in is Surat, huh. which is at number twenty-seven. The only other Indian city in the top thirty is Tirupur. Tamilnadu. Basically, map that along with another data point, which is that the decadal population growth in Kerala is the lowest ever. We are right. narrow. We are almost reaching negative growth. Oh, okay. It's at four point six. So it's odd that while population is coming down, cities are actually growing. Growing, right? Then you look at. what the kerala government announced alongside the budget when they did the review of their performance some of the numbers are startling the overall growth percentage was 7.5 right uh it is an uptick from 7.3 of the last year this is despite all the devastating flooding of 2018 and 2019 the per capita income in uh, fi uh, 2019 is 1 lakh 48000 
uh, the national average is 93,000, 93.6,000, yeah. uh, right? Manufacturing has gone up. Yeah. And nobody would ever associate manufacturing with Kerala. Kerala yeah. It is happening because of the MSME, not because of the big right. manufacturers. Yeah. Every single thing, NRI remittances are up. Mm-hmm. But more significantly, domestic uh, deposits are up. Right. Mm. Um, again, by significant percentages. NRI uh, remittances are up by 11.8%. Mm-hmm. And domestic uh, deposits are up 9.4%. Okay. And domestic uh, deposits basically constitute about 61.5% of the total deposits. So it is a significant sort of uptick. So basically, PSUs are actually turning a profit. State-run PSUs. Um, The turnover is given at 14,442 crore, which is an increase of 17.9%. That is overperforming on a massive scale. The point is that for the last 10 to 15 years, Kerala, which was the other way around, right? I mean, it was supposed to be the least friendly towards business, mm-hmm. is now going the exact opposite direction. It has become very, very uh, business friendly, investment friendly. It's doing every single thing it possibly can to both wipe out the negative image of the past mm-hmm. and to encourage industry. It's a different matter that big plants haven't come in there and right. uh, things like that, but they they've decided that They've lost that particular race. So they're concentrating on the medium and small scale uh, Mm. industry sector. Mm. And they're making it possible for, they're really going out of the way to make it possible, to make it very easy for you to start a business, to run a business. So anything that involves taxation, etc., which means basically, look, it's a simple economics, right? The higher the tax rates, the less money in circulation, the less money in circulation, the less you grow. So both the actions that these guys have taken recently map to both Kerala's politics and Kerala's uh, current interest. Current, again, I mean, it, it, it's about 15 years. It spans three governments, mm-hmm. one LDF, one UDF, one LDF again. So, so let's stay with the idea of um, <coughs> that you brought up in the context of the CAA of uh, sort of literacy and broader mm-hmm. socioeconomic development in Kerala. Sure. One of the arguments that's advanced in sort of theory or by researchers is that uh, Kerala has this Malayali identity or a sense of Venus. I think that's what Prerna Singh calls it in her book. Um, and that sort of uh, homogeneous identity and the efforts that are taken by the state at the state level to build and foster that identity is 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 described as one of the big reasons that explains Kerala socioeconomic indicators and literacy levels. And those are the input to Kerala's progressive politics in some ways. Uh, What do you say to the argument? Because that as a primary explanation is a bit problematic because you could always take a counter example. But, uh, you know. Does Kerala have a Malayali identity? We certainly do. And I'll use we because I am a born and brought up in Kerala uh, boy. So... Yeah, we do have a Malayali identity. What is strange about that? Karnataka has a Kannadiga identity, as does Andhra Pradesh, as does Tamil Nadu, as do most states in the in the union, uh, without replicating what Kerala is doing in terms of uh, social development and uh, things like that. Even if you parse the whole question of Kerala identity, just like any other place, yeah, there is an overarching Malayali identity. So irrespective of religion, irrespective of affiliation, irrespective of even whether you're a believer or an atheist, for instance, Mm -hmm. you will celebrate Onam and Vishu and Christmas and 
all of that and that's that's fairly common right but within that we have a nayar identity we have the dalit identity we have the muslim identity very strongly in places like kannur for instance malappuram hmm. uh, places like that we have the roman catholic identity all along the coastline uh, you have the syrian christian identity in the kollam uh, the 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 kotem uh, belt so we do have distinct identities all of which merge into a larger uh, kerala identity can you use the fact that we have a malayali identity look this is one example right when the bjp has been constantly trying to use the hindutva wedge to get into kerala huh. and a few years back if you remember amit shah came up with this wonderful idea of just before onam uh, he said onam should not be celebrated as mahabali's I mean it should not be used to celebrate Mahabali it should be Vamana Jayanti Vamana Jayanti uh-huh. in the first place it shows an ignorance of uh, of uh, your own mythology because Vamana was never born yeah. he just <laughs> happened to uh, manifest yeah. he manifested for that yeah. brief period of time to get rid of Mahabali and he yes. went back yeah. all that said what you what you remember about that incident was that the pushback was completely across even the BJP guys pushed back I remember the hashtag #pomone yeah. modi pomone Mo- yeah. modi and all that came at that time and and I mean I don't want to take names in this context but the fact of the matter is that unlike in other places the BJP and the RSS don't speak the same language in Kerala mm. the BJP is concentrated on political uh on 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 the politics of it and they are trying to increase their vote share they are trying to uh, inc- increase their mind share mm uh-huh. the rss is still playing by the national playbook and you have bjp leaders of considerable standing who will when you're not quoting them or when you're not naming them or whatever who will tell you that the rss particularly the central rss is a single reason why the bjp is not really escalating its presence in kerala okay uh all of it goes to this whole malayali identity they haven't gotten the fact that yeah we do have a pan kerala identity mm-hmm. which within which is subsumed several of these but they are all distinct the nayar identity is completely uh, it it has a solidity to it it has a uh, it it is firmly rooted in our ethos uh-huh. uh, i come from the nayar community and yeah while i have a malayali identity i also have a nayar identity uh-huh. and that's true pretty much I, i don't know i mean a lot of states have this so yeah, to say that that is the reason seems a bit of a reach mm-hmm. uh-huh. and i think uh, we also got a very good uh, alternate explanation for this process in manu pillai's book the ivory throne where he talks about uh, how the rulers of uh, cochin travancore invested fairly heavily in education in in terms of like and, and it was also i mean without making it too fine a point it was ranu uh, rani uh, setu lakshmi bai and others who decided to actually invest in education and i think one of her other far sighted uh, moves was cochin port if i'm not mistaken in allowing the british to develop it realizing this could be a great source of revenue which we can then push into all of these things so maybe single as linear such explanations don't always cut it and it's, and given our history tends to be complex about these matters uh, we have to sort of see it in the larger historical context yeah well. if you want to look at that kind of thing there mm. is also i mean to 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 add an layer to manu's uh, argument which is well made actually mm. you also have the fact that because kerala is such a small state look it fits into jaisalmer with space left over <laughs> yeah. that's all yeah. it is yeah. right within that you had at at any given point in time three to four kingdoms yeah. which basically means you're talking a tiny little uh, you know pin code sized areas which are kingdoms now yeah. 
it stands to reason that a king of a place like that cannot maintain a standing army. So then you had this thing of the Nayars being trained in martial arts, mm-hmm. minding their own business, their farms and whatever it is. And, and their uh, dependency was that they uh, train the young people in mm-hmm. the martial arts. But they were on call. When the king needed troops, these guys went. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there was the thing, and it, it's historic, that the Nair male lifespan was kind of finite. Mm-hmm. You never knew when you were going to die. And yeah. we had constant wars. We yeah. had wars internally. We had wars with, with against people coming mm-hmm. in and attacking uh, Kerala, uh, parts of Kerala. Uh, given that, matriarchy came in. Right. Women became the, not just titular heads, but the actual effective heads of the households. Mm-hmm. That gave them economic independence. They were the ones who ran the household. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were the ones who interacted with the workers. They, they were the ones who handled the finances and all of that. That independence in turn gave them the liberty to study what they wanted. They, they tended to become, they were not just highly literate. Mm-hmm. They were patrons of the arts. Mm-hmm. They were themselves very, very highly skilled at all the social arts. The, 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 uh, they were into painting and poetry and, and uh, all of that. So that level of literacy, then couple it with the fact that your monarchy was also entitled, uh, right. was, was also very uh, enlightened, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah. Um, Manu writes of uh, um, uh, Cochin, mm-hmm. the Zamorin was equally that way. And then you yeah. had the uh, Travancore rulers, yeah. uh, all of them known for their patronage of the arts and things. So mm-hmm. th- that culture has been kind of, it's part of the DNA mm-hmm. and despite the fact that matriarchy no longer exists and now we're back to the regular uh, thing, the joint family system is broken down and all of that, it's it's very hard to get it out of the DNA. I mean, our joint family, I don't think has existed since my late teens. So that would be about three and a half to four decades ago. But I still have, my uncle is the head of the, title or head of the household. When he says something, despite the fact that I can just tell him to bugger off, I listen. Yeah. And it's it's there. It's mm. it's hardwired and and yeah. it's it's showing up in a lot of these. So let's uh, switch tracks a little bit into some of the some of what we read about Kerala in some senses, right? Mm-hmm. The question of political violence, uh, particularly the RSS and the CPIM, which is implicated in a lot of these narratives around political violence in the context of Kerala. How significant is that in terms of framing debates at the state level? And what does that even mean for party politics in the context of Kerala? Uh, One of the things that you, and we can go into that in detail if you like, um, subsequently. But one of the things that you need to keep in mind is that Kerala has never had a single party Hmm. uh, rule. The the very first election was won by the CPI under EMS Nambutri part. But uh, as I recall... Uh, he could only form a government with the help of about 10 independents. The the uh, government fell fairly soon. 356 was invoked. President's yeah. rule was brought in, all of that. And from then on, it's always been a coalition, coalition. of multiple mm-hmm. uh, forces. So that is one. Political violence actually predates the foundation of Kerala. Okay. Uh, and it goes to communism. Huh. Kerala has always been about worker rights and that has been true even before independence. Um so, for example, all these joint families that you're talking about, the Nair Tarwards, for instance, uh, the Tarwad, what we call the Karnavar, the patriarch, was the head of the household. But 
he saw it as his duty and responsibility to ensure that all the people who worked on his lands uh-huh. were taken care of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the oppression that you hear about didn't really exist in the same fashion. I'm not saying there wasn't any. Uh-huh. I'm saying it was relatively not true because there was an enlightened sense that you had to take care of your people uh-huh. and the people who take care of you. Um, so that 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 thing about workers rights was fairly deeply embedded in the psyche anyway uh the congress took over from uh from the british and if you think back to that time there was a very marked anti-communist almost a global sort of anti-communist uh, attitude yeah which the congress transplanted to kerala and they had the advantage of you know a police force that was trained by the british to uh, to repress mm. uh public demonstrations and stuff and they unleashed the police on the on the uh, communists a classic example is the story of this guy um this was in 1948 there was a guy called moirath shankaran hmm. he was a congressman he was part of the gandhian uh, uh, freedom movement he was he was a brilliant uh, orator this i know from my grandfather i know he's a brilliant writer because i've read some of his writings and one way of mapping him to Uh, to a more global uh place in the writing firmament would be that he wrote about workers rights the way say uh, James Baldwin wrote about race okay he was that good hmm. uh he after independence he realized that a lot of what the congress was saying was anti worker hmm. so he changed he became a communist okay and for that he was murdered mm. okay. he he was murdered by a combination i mean it's it's it you call it folklore you call it apocrypha you call it you know received or or derived from facts or whatever but the general belief and it it applies to anyone you ask over there is that he was murdered by a combination of congress workers and police together okay. he was waylaid he was beaten up uh, brutally and he was killed mm. and that is where the political murder started initially it was congress trying to repress the communist movement mm-hmm. until the unions really took hold and the communists started growing in numbers mm-hmm. and were able to hit back at the congress then you had a spell where you didn't have much violence uh-huh. you had the occasional clashes there were little flashpoints kasaragod always used to be a slight communal thing because of the proximity to mangalore, mangalore which yes. is a very rss uh, yeah. driven thing and funnily enough rss and mangalore is what has started this spell of violence that you're talking about now right mm. because what happened was that um i need to uh, i need to check the dates on this one among the many unions so you have the what they call the chettu torilali which is the toddy tappers mm. uh, you have the fishermen's union some of them are very very powerful both numerically physically mm. uh, another powerful union was the beady workers union right uh kerala manufacturers bds uh it it it's always been there again it dates back into the 50s and the 60s and all of that and it centered in kannur what happened was that the ems nambudri part government implemented in kerala a federal law protecting bd workers right mm-hmm. so uh the law had been passed nobody really took it seriously but ems nambudri part decided that it was time to take it seriously mm-hmm. the laws included things like you can't work, you can't ask a worker to work for more than 9 hours mm-hmm. you can't ask a worker to work for more than 48 hours in a week mm-hmm. if for some reason for for ramping up production or whatever if you wanted to 
have him work overtime you had to pay him double right now the funny part was that the wholesalers in the bd trade were manglo based they right. were rss backers mm-hmm. and they went to the rss and said look this is going to you know wreck our Business. thing so what happened was these guys shut down the bd uh, manufacturing units in kannur mm-hmm. which threw an estimated anywhere from 12 to 20000 people out of work overnight then they did a work around they started the main unit in mangalore itself what they would do was the raw materials would be delivered to your home okay ah. you were expected to produce so this was a work around yes of this law right yes, yes. the communists realized what was going on mm-hmm. and they said look i mean what they are effectively doing is undercutting the rights of the workers and this is not possible so they resisted mm-hmm. they started something called the it's it's funny the the mangalore company one of them was called the Mang, uh, the dinesh bd uh-huh. in kerala they started something called the i mean sorry the mangalore company was called ganesh, ganesh bd yes and, i was like this yeah. <laughs> and in kerala uh, they started something called dinesh bd dinesh uh-huh. bd okay yeah and when we were uh, students uh-huh. we would actually go to a shop and ask for dinesh bd if they didn't have it we would walk to the next shop and only buy dinesh okay cancel I mean, culture no <laughs> yeah, seriously um so it, this violence this was basically economic driven violence which the rss uh, uh-huh. used to enter kerala in a big way uh-huh. and that has created a spiral of killings and revenge killings that right now i think the toll is pretty much evenly split between these two parties the odd f- few congress people have, have been road kill along the way and mm. uh, 3 4 iuml uh, leaders have mm. died but basically it is uh, the cpm versus the rss and it is uh, an endless cycle of killings and revenge killings okay but uh, the the common perception that a that kerala is violence racked and b that the communists are the sole cause of the violence i would disagree with both yeah. uh, kannur does have periodic spells of violence despite all efforts to maintain peace mm-hmm. the cpm is both sinner and sinned against okay mm. uh, to equal measure so right. the rss typically tries its usual thing of it does something and then plays victim yeah <laughs> and, and i think we have sort of seen this uh, cycle actually the cycle of violence has it, at least we're not seeing that much reportage about it anymore uh, or at least in the last one and a half years it doesn't seem to have been in the or at least caught the news cycle as much but i suppose it is still being carried out in some way or the other uh, the election is over right? the election, election is over yes. peaked so, it in the yeah. early part of 2019, 2019. Yeah. yeah yeah now i think it's much more about careless resistance to the ca and yeah. other yeah. sort of factions yeah and which with me going back to the rss and the bjp's attempt at entering kerala one of the issues that was felt that would help them was the sabrimala issue but it hasn't because they got again wiped out in the 2019 lok sabha elections which goes back to what we were talking about the onam uh, thing and all of that look yeah. uh, i've been to sabrimala 18 times i'm actually a guruswami in the sense of if you do it 18 times consecutively okay. walking uh-huh. the entire distance you supposed to be a guru swami which basically means that you can then uh, you know put the mala for the people mm-hmm. and do all of that stuff am i in favor of women getting into shabrimala my thing would be look a lot of things that were associated with the temple of change why not this yeah. uh for instance it used to be that you had to walk uh-huh. the five hills uh-huh. uh get to pamba and then go now you have people literally going overnight you would have partied the previous evening and i'm not making this up i know actual mm-hmm. examples of people who've been partying this week 
this weekend they get into a car they go to pamba there they wear the uh, the, uh, the 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 chain and the uh, they get the irumudi uh, done there and climb up the steps and do the worship and come back uh-huh. secondly it is not true to say that women haven't entered shabrimala uh-huh. you can't enter by the 18 steps woman man whoever uh-huh. as long as you don't have the irumudi on your head you can't set okay. foot on those 18 steps mm-hmm. but women have always entered via the uh, side a thing mm-hmm. okay case in point my sister's uh, choruna ceremony mm-hmm. uh, which is the first feeding that mm-hmm. the first solid food that the mm-hmm. baby has was in shabrimala temple mm-hmm. okay. my mother was there i mean she just given birth to my sister my grandmother was there my aunts were there all of them were um, basically i think two of my aunts who were there at that time hadn't yet delivered their own first children okay so is it okay for women to go i don't see if you can come by the back door then what's the problem with the front door as long as you follow all the other observances and if if you're going to use tradition and culture then you have to you will get into this problem that shabrimala as the abode of ayyappan became true only from the 1950s onwards before that it was dharmashastra as the concept which is borrowed from buddhism ah, okay uh, the dharmashastra concept was actually taken from buddhism mm-hmm. Uh, in order to counter the rise of buddhism mm. Mm. and dharmashastra in there are multiple temples uh, dedicated dharmashastra in kerala and there he shown with a wife and two kids okay so again in shabrimala itself his uh, his beloved ayyappan's beloved uh, maligapurathamma we call it mm-hmm. occupies a place to the left of uh, shabrimala temple main so mm. it's not like ayyappan was a misogynist mm. no uh so i don't see what the fuss is about but that is what the bjp again forgot mm-hmm. they put all their weight behind this no women in thing and the average malayali is like hey, look just don't mess with a peace and quiet mm. if you're doing something do it which is why also if you notice as soon as the supreme court verdict came what the kerala government said was the verdict is there it is our responsibility to support the verdict hmm. and to do whatever it takes to which means we will provide police protection if women actually want to go right provided they are following all the rules of 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 going up hmm. that thing hmm. um yeah they've since diluted that stand a little bit but it had nothing to do with the elections basically hmm. bjp pushed to the other extreme and all that uh, happened was that in patanamthitta they came third Uh, ironically in patanamthitta which is the the ground zero for the shabrimala thing mm. the person who has won the last three elections is a guy called anto anthony oh. he's a christian okay so in, in a sense that the issue doesn't actually isn't a hindutva wedge at all i mean as much as it may be framed as such in a well, what the hindutva guys are claiming is that look our vote share went up mm. the fact of the matter is you are still third by a distance yeah you are third to a christian mm-hmm. a woman mm-hmm. and then you and the person who contested sridharan mm-hmm. was the man who was the point person for the shabri he was the one who led the violence and the rioting and stuff mm-hmm. like that and then he he was given the ticket because i mean he was the face of the yeah. anti uh, Shab, uh, the women in shabrimala movement yeah he lost badly and so, some of it might also have been performative for the rest of the country which is that while it might yield political gains in kerala in the medium term the performance is for other parts of the country as well well if where if, kerala becomes a flashpoint and look at that resistance and and uh, what 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 benefit would you expect i mean look it's it's about as valid as saying if if uh, hindutva dominates up 
for instance, is that going to have an effect on Kerala? No. So if that was the idea behind the BJP thinking, it is fairly flawed. You can make all the fuss you want in this state and it's not going to affect the other state. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could have been, I mean, the BJP's uh, holding up of the, of various religious causes is almost always performative. It has nothing to do with the actual religion itself. So in that sense, yeah, I'm fairly certain that it was performative. They were, they were making a show of uh, thing. It's, it's another way of demonizing um, the communist party in this case. Uh, look, the communists are the ones who are stopping or, or who are permitting women to enter the sacred portals of the Shabrimala. You know, there was actually a movie that was shot on the steps of the Shabrimala. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Sudha Chandran, the, uh, the dancer, the, the dancer, dancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She and uh, so a movie was shot called Nambinar Kaduvadillai. It's a Tamil film. Okay. And she dances up the steps. Oh, okay. With no irumudi and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then somebody filed a case. Huh, and right. she was fined, I think, thousand bucks. Okay. She and the producer and the director were all fined thousand bucks. That's all. Hmm. Uh, 1991 was when, because of, uh, there was a, uh, in the Devasom board, there hmm. was some kind of ill will between the present and past president. Mm-hmm. Uh, the president at the time was a woman. So the past president went and filed a case in the Kerala High Court yeah. saying that this woman cli- uh, entered Shabrimala. Yes. Uh, and the high court judgment, they that was when they gave the priest hmm. in loco, uh, put the priest in loco parentis to the uh, idol. Yeah. And he spoke and said, no, 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 women are not supposed to come and all of that. And it was a court hmm. uh, judgment that women shouldn't go. Right. It was not a tradition. tradition. Yes. yes. So, yeah. And actually, this is, this is a point which, um, I mean, the Supreme Court also grapples with. Uh, and in a sense, nobody is able to, even the dissenting judgment in the, the earlier Sabrimala judgment, right. nobody is able to actually point out what is the tradition here, right? What is the religion, except for the fact that there's a Kerala High Court judgment which says so, and there's a provision in the rules that say women will not be allowed, uh, which was made in the 60s, mid-60s yes. at some point. Nobody is able to say what is the basis for this, right? Is there, is there any actual custom? Can you find it in any document? Can someone come forth and prove it? And you realize, and, and they sort of realize nobody has actually shown us in e- either way that what is what is the actual situation. So in a sense, perhaps this is an issue which has come up in a very modern way as opposed to, you know, a protection of any tradition. Constructed in that sense. Yeah, yeah. like a lot of social issues hmm. as, as uh, eras change, the way you look at various things also change. So today there is this whole, um, I know feminist has become a pejorative, but there is that feminist viewpoint of why are we being discriminated against? That has come in and temple entry is one aspect of that kind of uh, hmm. of, of modernistic thinking. Uh, to your point about nobody is able to prove it, nobody will be able to prove it because right. the fact of the matter is that Chabrimala used to be a Dharmashastha temple until 1950 when it burned down. Mm. It is when it was rejuvenated mm-hmm. that the main idol began to be called Ayyappa right. and certain other traditions, etc. were brought into place. Mm. Um, I think the first time I went there was 19... Boom, late 60s. Okay. Uh, very late 60s or probably 1970. Mm. I uh, don't recall exactly, but look, there was nothing. It was a jungle. Hmm. Uh, just before the uh, start of the season, volunteers from the NSS would go and literally clear a path for you to walk through. And it was a single file path. Uh, you reached Shabrimala, you did your worship and then you came 
you, you got down via the back uh, or the side uh, steps and you found a place under the trees or some kind of open place to spread a blanket and sleep. Hmm. Uh, there was absolutely zero facilities. Hmm. Women didn't go because women couldn't really, you know, I mean, unlike us, a tree is good enough to, to, to you know, answer the call of nature. Hmm. Not that easy for women. Uh, it's not that there was a hard and fast rule against these things. It was a matter of convenience that then gets made into tradition. Yeah. And it's not just Kerala, pretty much everywhere. But talking of Kerala, uh, there used to be a tradition against you can't go wearing salwars and all that to various temples, including Guruvayur. No, you can. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I haven't heard that the gods have fled from there <laughs> because all these things happen. So yeah. I don't see what the fuss is about, seriously. So... One point that you sort of made and made me think of something. Uh, the Communist Party in Kerala uh, has shown a kind of resilience that if we compare it to communist parties in the rest of the country and most notably in West Bengal have not been able to. Uh, that in the sense that they have captured, they've been able to capture power, but also trade it frequently enough that loss of power doesn't mean loss of the ability to hold the party together. And I suppose part of it is because it's a coalition and it's not, it's not just say like with Bengal, just mostly the CPM and a couple of really small parties. But does the Kerala Communist Party function as like some a fairly sui generis kind of unit? Or, you know, how do we see it in the larger trajectory of communist politics in India? Uh, if you talk to senior people in the Kerala Communist Party, you probably find that they have a lot of contempt for the West Bengal Communist. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the contempt stems from the fact that they think that the West Bengal version of communism is purely about gaining power. Okay. With no idea what to do once you have gained power. Mm. Whereas the Kerala communists have been agile enough to constantly reinvent themselves. Mm. Um, so if you look at the 60s, 70s, even part of the 80s, workers' rights were very, very important mm -hmm. to the extent that it became almost difficult to function in Kerala. I mean, you, you started any project and, and 10 workers came with a red flag and planted it there and said, it's a strike. Yeah. We're not allowing this to come up. The EK Nayanar government actually put a ban on strikes and said, this is hurting Kerala. It's, it's, a, it's a communist government that hmm. did that. And funnily hmm. enough, when he came up with that ban, mm -hmm. when he said, look, I mean, you can't strike for anything and everything. You have to go through the process of first negotiate, bring it to an adjudication uh, level if necessary and only if that fails then let's look at direct action mm -hmm. which was his argument you would expect that you know that would have turned all the communists in Kerala against Nayanar and his government right? right but in the history of Kerala in all the years that they have traded from from uh, the 70s onwards every successive election it is the UDF LDF LDF, UDF, yes, LDF yes. there was only one time mm -hmm. when the LDF, which was the government in power, fought an election and came within just four seats of retaining power. Okay. And that was Nayanar after okay. the ban. After the ban, right. And it was because there was a very clear call out. One of the things that differentiates the Kerala Communist Party is when they're doing something, mm -hmm. they're very, very clear with their messaging. Mm -hmm. They insist on letting you know that this is why we're doing something. It might have a social reason. It might have an economic reason. Nayanar was very clear that, look, this is spoiling the image of Kerala. It is preventing investment from coming into the state. We need to do something about it for our collective prosperity. Hmm. Uh, or, or, or look at the recent budget, right? Last year, uh, was it last year? We were in 2020. Uh, late 2018, I think it was. They started something 
called uh, there was a name for it which i can't recall off the top of my hand the idea was oh. it was an eating house for everybody right and the, th- the thinking was nobody should go hungry in the state mm-hmm. so they tried it as a pilot project in one place where they use csr funding mm-hmm. and the idea was you could go in there and you could have a meal of rice and fish curry mm-hmm. eat your heart's content on the way out there was a box mm. and you just put money in the box what you could afford if you didn't have any money you just walked yeah. nobody asked you any questions yeah. the thing is at the end of the year they found that they had spent about a crore mm-hmm. and they had made about 85 lakh wow. <laughs> so if you look at this budget uh-huh. uh katie thomas has actually said Mm-hmm. we are instituting this right across kerala now right um uh, the same thing 25 bucks a meal for okay. whoever wants it okay and he actually says in his in his budget presentation he says uh, the cashier is your conscience mm-hmm. oh okay. give what you can mm. uh that's what i mean by you know messaging the mm. the, the kerala communist party has differed from its west bengal uh, equivalent in this that all said and done governance whatever else they do all the political violence all the all the infighting all of that mm-hmm. when it comes to governance they have their eye on the ball okay uh, examples again look at the way they handle the nepa virus yes uh, and one funny part of uh, one less noticed part of the nepa virus is they also noticed that the tendency for fakes to proliferate at times of disaster was huge So when this recent coronavirus uh, thing started one of the first things that KK Shailaja did was she put together a group of journalists mm-hmm. and scientists mm-hmm. put them in a room and said 24/7 you're monitoring every damn bit of news that is coming out mm-hmm. anything that is fake you're countering immediately with the facts yeah. she also sent messages to all the major publishers mm-hmm. saying if i see any fakes in your paper we are going to take uh, your your media house we're going to take action yeah. we are available So if there is a fact that you want to check it is not because you couldn't check it or we weren't available that excuse doesn't exist. Yeah. So be careful about what you're reporting. Mm. So the messaging is always crystal clear very sharp you know exactly why they're doing something you know yeah. exactly uh, what it's about. Another thing that the communist government did for instance and communists like any other government i suppose it's not like uh, you know the congress or or other parties are open to giving up control but the communist government actually produced uh, what they call the people's plan campaign this was in 96 by the way okay uh they piloted this thing where 35% of the state's budget mm-hmm. would actually it would not rest in the control of the state government but of the local authorities yeah uh, which basically meant local authorities mm. uh, the collector the the, the municipal uh, councillors yeah. all of them mm. had authority to use to 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 come up with programs beneficial to those areas and mm-hmm. they had the funds at their disposal they didn't have to go through the bureaucratic loop okay has it been a 100% success um no mm. uh, because bureaucracy is bu- being bureaucracy just untangling red tape and making sure that the red tape doesn't replicate itself before you've untangled one strand uh, has been a tough process yeah but it started showing results now mm. and you see that during times of disaster for instance where the response of the kerala local authorities is considerably faster than you see in any other part of the country yeah so which which speaks to your question of why is the kerala uh, communist party different from its west bengal equivalent you don't hear of governance in west bengal mm. 
and they've yeah. also not had to negotiate for power they were in power 20 odd years yeah where yeah. kerala has experienced this constant need to reinvent oneself exactly to to sort of the current context because you had to win the election plus also again i mean starting with not the first government but that was a very short lived government but pretty much every other government even when the uh, communists come into power it is with others with others yeah so there is checks and balances built into mm. that system mm. uh, there are other parties saying no don't do something bad shit because it's you know my people are going to get pissed <laughs> yeah. off yeah. yeah yeah so yeah and 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 i think that sort of explains well that you know having to deal with coalitions and negotiate in the parliamentary process as yes. part of, part of the parliamentary process makes you less despotic in some in many ways and possibly also guarantees a longer life yeah, than anything tem- else yeah and tempers any kind of extremism in yeah. that well, sense well uh, coalition governments have also done stupid things yeah. but here uh, another check and balance besides the fact that there are multiple parties in the coalition there is also this check and balance that the average carelite is very aware of his rights mm. and you do something that is not quite kosher and the next thing you find is those guys are out on the street saying what the hell are you doing and yeah. it immediately translates into okay you're dead in the next election okay so there is there is that hammer always over them mm-hmm. so there are, there are lots of uh, there are lots of checks and balances on uh, despotism becoming a Uh, right. a factor in kerala politics right. we don't take kindly to despots yeah. and in sorry the last question i'd like to ask before we wrap sure. up is this you know is the role of the internet a, a, and communication and social media in the changes in politics uh, there's quite a lot of in narrative and information in the context of how social media and social media narratives particularly of a certain nationalistic kind have enabled the bjp in large parts of the world now large parts of the country but that's not necessarily been the case in kerala some of the reasons are what you described sort of the enlightened politics the progressive politics over decades um a robust socio-economic context etc but how is technology and social media playing a role in in narratives in kerala and there's writing about the meme industry and all of that but would love to get into that a little bit more well um even before independence uh kerala was known for it, what what we call the vayanashala which is the reading room hmm. uh library reading room whatever you want to call it uh, pretty much every area has its own vayanashala there are books but and it is one of the two social hubs in any kerala area hmm. uh the other being the temple hmm. uh, the temple the mosque the church uh people went there all the papers would be made available you read and reading was a communal thing so i would be reading something and i'm like uh, i i would sit there and say hey have you read this news story what do you think mm. and one of the joke in jokes that we malus keep talking about each other is you know you have all these uh, governments all around the world uh, hiring people at considerable expense and all that but you just walk down any kerala town pick a person at complete random ask him to solve any of the major problems in the world and he will do it in 5 minutes citing reasons i mean he'll give you facts figures you know this happened but climate change 5 minutes for an average kid yeah. right um so well before i mean we talk about social media having given information to people or made information more easily accessible that's not the case the the wine shop and the tea shop is embedded in our psyche uh social media funny story uh which again replicates itself all over kerala uh in temples rss has been using the temple as an entry point obviously um so one of the tactics they do is 
they get their people into the temple committee. So I'll give you an example of a particular temple. It's in uh, Korikur in the Western region. Uh, the RSS person became the guy who was sitting at the cash counter for all these, uh, what you call the worry word, the offerings. The offerings, yeah. So you're going and um, paying money, getting a receipt, all of that. And we're basically chatty by nature. So it's not just a transaction, we'll talk. And this guy will get into a conversation with you and the conversation will build over your successive visits and stuff until at some point he says, hey, why don't you give me your number? You know, the, the, He'll give you some information which you probably didn't have and say, you know, I keep hearing these things and I'm happy to share it with you. Why don't you give me your number? We'll put you in a small WhatsApp group and then you suddenly find yourself in a WhatsApp group. Huh. And then you realize that that WhatsApp group is from that region for obvious reasons, all those locals. So you know a lot of the people. Fine. And then it starts. Uh, this Hindu girl was kidnapped there and brutalized. That Hindu guy was killed by the Muslims. And this happened. All the fake uh, videos started coming up. Now, in this temple, this the same pattern replicated itself, which is your typical radicalization move, right? Mm. What happened was <laughs> the, the, the people who ha uh, frequent that temple mm -hmm. went in a body to that temple and demanded that unless this guy is removed from that post okay. and everybody's name is not removed from that WhatsApp group, mm -hmm. they'll stop coming to the temple. Oh, oh wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the, the uh, social media as a means of, of propaganda hasn't worked too well. We have exceptions. Mm. The Patanamdata region was volatile and vicious during that period yeah. then you have certain tv channels like janam tv and all that which trades in in uh, fake videos or you know conveniently edited videos and and sells a hindu uh, thing the thing is the majority of the malus prefer to get their news from multiple sources as opposed to single sources right. so the same thing hasn't worked and malus have a my wife actually keeps, uh, I mean, she once told me that she had, ha she had vowed that she would never marry two kinds of people. One was the uh, army man and one was a malu. Okay. <laughs> and I asked her why and she said, malus have this savage, sarcastic sense and I don't like it. Uh, she keeps, uh, that, that's a problem with me. Uh, it continues into 30 years of marriage. Uh, so that explains the memes and stuff. Yeah, we are fairly... Um, shall we say, uh, not shy about expressing uh, our dissent if we have it. So we'll find a lot of that. Yeah. Great. And uh, I think with that, we have come to the end of our time. And we had a great and a very fun episode uh, discussing with you, Prem. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. And like I said, this is a very sort of Cliff Notes version <laughs> yes. of Kerala politics. So. <laughs> and, and I, I think it's the Cliff Notes of the Cliff Notes, really, yeah. because there's so many questions here that we'd love to dig deeper sure, into. Yeah. And I'm sure we will be revisiting this uh, more and more. This, this is just to get our viewers uh, to think about states, to think about it in some more detail, to understand some of the larger underlying themes of main issues. Yeah, there's a temptation very often, particularly with this rapid cycle news reporting, to think that there is not a political history and be ahistorical in how we analyze political right, events. Yeah. And part of what we hope this episode and the upcoming series does is to complicate that a little bit. To say that very many of the things that are in existence today are because of how things were in the past. So sure. That's what we hope yeah. to do. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. And uh, thank you all for tuning into our episode. Uh, do stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thank you. See you next Wednesday. See you next Wednesday. <laughs>